listening to Star Wars Sessions, probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. The Star Wars Sessions podcast. Palpatine loves a good Star Wars session. Absolute legends of Star Wars Sessions. This is the way, this is the way. Please welcome your hosts, Matt Hudson and Luke Bly. This is when fun begins. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the galaxy. And welcome to Star Wars Sessions. Come for the Star Wars, stay for the Sessions. My name is Matt Hudson, a.k.a. Jabba the Hud. And joining me once again here in the cockpit of the Essex Falcon, he's the greatest Star Wars man, fan and buddy out there. He still loves the building and he still looks good. It's Master Blywalker, Luke Bly. How are you, sir? Oi, oi, sa, the, loy, matty boy. Celebration, been and gone. Kenobi, episodes one and two, been and gone. Mate, celebration, 2023. It's coming home, mate. It's It's coming home. It's coming. coming. (laughs) Yes, mate. What a a news drop that was. I was, um, when the news dropped, I wanted my, the phone was blowing up because I think it was going on. And I saw people were reacting to something saying it's coming home. (laughs) <laughs> but I hadn't realised, I, I hadn't seen the, the news at the time, I don't know what I was doing, but obviously you dropped the message and then I saw it and I was just like, yes, because we knew it all along, we knew it's coming home, we've been, we've known this uh, and it's been, and it's great to finally get confirmation, mate, and yeah. we'd yeah. be lying if we said the, the planning hadn't already begun and the announcement, the, the ink on the contract is still wet and we're still, and we're already planning our trip, aren't we, mate? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we're like it feels like we're hosting the Olympics. <laughs> like I feel like responsible for everyone to have a good time almost. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, no, we gotta we gotta plan some events. We're gonna have a good time. Twenty sixteen was amazing. That was the last time Star Wars Celebration was in the UK. It was in Europe, London, the Excel Center in East London. Mate, we're gonna be there. And we're gonna, and it's gonna be better than 2016. It's gonna be fine. That was a good celebration because that was the lead up to Rogue One. It was fire, man. And we didn't know each other then. Uh, we didn't know each other. We were months or months away from it, knowing each other. But now, so this is our first celebration on home soil, uh, and we intend to crush it. Sessions are going to own that. And I'll tell you something, mate. 2023 is going to be much better than 2022 celebration was. Why? Yeah, <laughs> we're coming home. <laughs> listen i tell you one thing one thing i've been frustrated about this week and i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this celebration but i had a few friends over on saturday including matty boy i'm talking to the audience to the listener right now so i I had a few of the few the lads over and i was like look we'll you know we'll sit down get some food play some nintendo switch watch some Star Wars Celebration. You know, maybe watch the Mando Plus panel because that looks like a really good panel. Saturday night, what could go wrong? Sounds like the dream night. Sounds Lo great. and behold, well, I, it, it gets to, what time was it meant to be on, mate? Like eight oh, o'clock. Seven, eight, eight o'clock, o'clock, yeah. Eight o'clock, like British time. 8 p.m. British time. And uh, we had the live stream on. And my brother is like, dude, um, isn't the live stream meant to be on now and I, I look at the tv and all i'm seeing is you know i don't want to disrespect no one but i'm just seeing like you know the usual sort of star wars show chit chat 
I'm thinking, yeah, what is going on? I remember they didn't stream your it. attention to it. I remember saying to you, instead, you know, they, they, the the Mando panel is going on right now, just and then pointing your attention to the television, and it was just a an a cappella version of the Cantina song, which was, by all accounts, fire. But you know, mere, mere meters away, we, we you know Dave, John, and the cast of Mando, and as it, so as it turned out, Ahsoka were in that room. You know, spilling the spilling the juice on all on all that's coming soon. But um, no, although we didn't get it, and apparently people within the convention didn't either. So I certainly hope 2023 has a better in-convention organisation and possibly digital as well. So basically, if you weren't in the room, you didn't see it. And that seems like a shame because that doesn't, that's not what they did for the other conventions, right? For other celebrations. Yeah. It's always been, you know, what's been going on, like the big panels were always streamed to the other rooms. So that if you didn't get into that panel, that's cool. You can watch it like elsewhere in the convention. So yeah, dude, I, I, I felt like that is a massive letdown for this celebration. Massive letdown. Uh, I'm hoping it was just like a technical issue, you know? because i don't get why you wouldn't to be honest Uh, i i I just don't understand why you wouldn't and this isn't just us complaining about this there's a lot of people they feel a little bit let down you know us staying at home us that couldn't get out to la um this time round. you know so there we go but nevertheless mate nevertheless we're here we're here we're pretty much in london and we are hosting celebration <laughs> yeah me and luke doing it me yeah, and luke matt, wouldn't that be good matt hudson and luke blywalker we're going ham mate we are going ham so excited it's coming home it is proper coming home and you guys if you i'm sure we're going to do more episodes leading up to have like advice on the celebration we're going to be doing events if you need any help just message us email us let us know. You you want to know if you're staying in a rough bit of London? We'll let you know. We'll tell you. Oh, yeah. We'll tell you behind closed doors. We'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to anyone. At the end of the day, it is in East London, and a lot of East London isn't particularly nice. This bit, like the Docklands, isn't bad. It's actually quite nice, That's especially decent, like yeah. Canary Wharf and that. It's not far. Greenwich. Greenwich. Yeah. Really nice. Uh, but London, it's a big city, guys. It's a big city. And do you know what, mate? Elizabeth Line, the new train, Loves has it. a stop at XL. There you go. He's, Filth, just, he's, he's the only reason he's going for it. It's the only reason he's going is yeah. to get back on the old Lizzie line. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very excited for the uh, return of celebration to Europe and, and to London as well. Uh, we'll be talking more about celebration and all of these stuff that dropped uh probably best to head on over to our patreon to find that yeah. out for some exclusive bly walker and jabba the hud thoughts on celebrations i'm telling you something geese there was a lot of news but um we also wanted to make it uh make you all guys aware again in terms of news that you, you're listening to this and it's not wednesday no 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 it's the end of the week it's a friday whilst obi-wan kenobi is dropping on disney plus our main shows, i.e. ones like this, will be dropping on a Friday to allow the Obi-Wan Kenobi recap to drop every Wednesday. It saves you guys having the having the joy of having two Star Wars sessions on one day. We thought we'd let you breathe and absorb and marinate the filth before you get your next dose of sessions. Yeah. So just to let you know, for the next two or three weeks, it will be a Friday main episode drop so uh, we don't want anyone we we don't want anyone ODing on sessions you know no just you know we've seen what happens when you have a bit of a an overdose on spice if you've seen the kenobi series no spoilers here but our recap dropped last week of episodes one and two as a beefy one because we covered both 
episodes, but go check that out. It's full of spoilers. If you're waiting to binge watch Kenobi, well, you're going to have to wait to listen to those recaps, but they are there for you now. Uh, we've also dropped uh, a sh- very short screen signers by the sea Star Wars Sessions Extra. I headed over to a soggy South End last Sunday. <laughs> Lots of alliteration there. Uh, yeah. To the event, which was organised by Ross Sandbridge, Chris Bunn, uh, and there was a decent handful of Star Wars cast, old and new. Bun! Bun! <laughs> Bunny boy! Who attended. So I went up there, I shoved the microphone in their face, got some um, got some cool chat, got some cool pictures, and it was a very decent event, uh, especially considering it only took two months to organise from start to finish. So well done, lads. But you can hear my thoughts and my chat on the Star Wars Sessions newsfeed. And we've also got one more piece of exciting, fun, spicy Patreon-filled news, mate. Yes, a huge shout-out to our latest patron, Igor Boryevich, who has joined at the high ground too. Yes, mate, welcome to the session, sick Ed. Uh, We know Igor, he's he's signed up, I think, before, and I think he messaged us, and guys going to have to come back another time. We love that. We get that not everyone can sign up to the Patreon. We totally understand that. But where you can, it is full of fun. Thank you so much, mate. And it, have you spoken to this guy? He is so nice. He is so mate, friendly. He usually, usually slides into the old Instagram DMs every now and then. He's a legend. Yeah. He's he's usually, well, generally uh, comments on our posts. He's, usually, he's always dropping our DMs with thoughts on what something we've said or the show or film that's just been released. So, Igor, you're a king. And hopefully we can give you even more to chew on with our mm. Patreon episodes. You get three every month, and we hope you enjoy about 100-something-plus episodes worth of exclusive content on Patreon. So, honestly, mate, means the world to Luke and myself that you've signed up and supporting the show. Cheers! Yeah, top lad. Top lad. And top dog. He- he- heads up, guys. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been a lot, a lot of Star Wars news recently. So, brace yourselves. <laughs> You're going to want to brace yourselves because I can now hear the chimes of Big Ben Kenobi in the background and they may be going into overdrive of this one. What does it all mean, Luke Blywalker? Ah, it's round. <laughs> it's official. Star Wars Celebration will be held in London's Excel Centre between the 7th and 10th of April 2023. Lucasfilm have now confirmed that Sabine Wren will be played by Natasha Lou Bordizzo in Ahsoka. Tales of the Jedi, a collection of animated shorts focusing on prequel era Jedi, is coming to Disney Plus this autumn. Kathleen Kennedy has stated that all upcoming Star Wars movies will be set around and during the sequel era. The Bad Batch Season 2 trailer has been released with the series dropping on Disney Plus this autumn. John Favreau has confirmed that The Mandalorian will continue into a fourth season and that he has already begun the writing process. 
Star Wars Visions is officially getting a second season with studios from around the world collaborating with Lucasfilm this time round. And the first teaser for Jedi Survivor has been released with the game confirmed to release in 2023 on next-gen consoles. Hi, this is Misty Roses. I am the performance artist for Queel and Frog Lady in The Mandalorian. And you are listening to Star Wars Sessions, probably Britain's greatest Star Wars podcast. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Now imagine a world where the visual aesthetic of Star Wars was totally clean, everything looked pristine and shiny. I'm not sure I like the sound of that. And thankfully, somebody else wasn't keen on that idea either. That someone was the creator of the lived-in look of the galaxy, as well as things you may have heard of, such as the lightsaber, Han Solo's DL-44, the Falcon cockpit, and so much more, uh, as well as being the man who kept superglue companies in profit in the late 70s. It's my honour to announce that tonight we are joined by the Academy Award-winning set decorator and dresser from Star Wars A New Hope, Roger Christian. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, as always, to recount a few stories. <laughs> thank you so much for making the time to do this. We know you've been very, very busy recently with uh, your documentary, your very loved documentary, Galaxy Built on Hope, and we'll get to that. But right. first, we wanted just to chat yeah. to you and really give people a background on your amazing work on this Star Wars and how much really we as fans and Star Wars as an IP owes to people like yourself. Um, And I know, obviously, you're not living here at the moment, but us Brits, we're a funny bunch. We don't really like talking about ourselves that much, but we're going to do it. We're going to force you to do it this time around, Roger. And I know you've got some amazing stories, amazing stories. Now, obviously, uh, Star Wars fans are from many generations now. Matty Boy and I, we grew up with the 90s and 2000s Star Wars, the prequel trilogy, and that's why we're Star Wars fans today. And now there's a whole new generation of kids and people that maybe have just hopped onto Star Wars because of The Mandalorian, you know? But really what, what people might forget is that Star Wars really was a risk back in the 70s with George, with the team, with people like yourself. Can you just give us a background? on how it was a risk for you, maybe how you got involved in the project, and just give us a foundation. Sure, yeah. I was actually working um, with John Barry, the designer in Wymus in Mexico. We were doing a huge movie called Lucky Lady. Um, Mm -hmm. It was rum running in the 20s and 30s, and we're converting old Mexican sets. So, Gene Hackman film. Yes, Gene Hackman, Liza Minnelli, and um, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, so... That was written by Gloria and Willard Hike. They wrote American Graffiti, and they did some of the character work for George just as friends. They were all students together. When um, everybody turned down Star Wars, every Hollywood studio, the only person who backed George was Alan Ladd Jr., who was then head of 20th Century yep. Fox. So going against his own board, he kind of said we could do this. So the board did an analysis that the film 
because science fiction was in the toilet. There was no box mm -hmm. office anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And this was a kind of children's story. They said it'll make $12 million. Wow. That's what their estimate was. So they divide that by three. And they said to George, if you can make it for $4 million, we'll do the movie. So Britain at the time was half the cost of America. And Gary Kurtz was saying in America, it's $8 million. There's no stages free. And he'd gone to have a look around all over Europe. Um, but 20th Century Fox there, Peter Beale and um, had said to them, we can do it for four. So Gloria and Willard wow. said, you why don't you fly down and meet John and uh, Roger? Because we'd become really cool friends. They were cool people. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, because they're doing exactly what you're talking about. So I'm dressing an old salt factory. I'm shoveling salt and trying to get it done. A car arrives out, gets two students like me. <laughs> really, we all felt <laughs> like that at the time. <laughs> and George in his plaid shirt and his jeans and his sneakers. <laughs> and cool. Gary Kurtz with a cowboy hat. <laughs> and um, introduced himself, and he said, look, I'm trying to make this science fiction film, but I want to do a spaghetti western in space. And so I kind of said, well, I've never connected to a science fiction film ever before because they're all over design. They're not real. Yeah, I imagine science fiction like an old car that's um, broken down and dripping oil and the owner's kept it new parts and put other bits on it. Yeah. So... You know, I, I realized, and I said afterwards now, I realized I was describing exactly the Millennium Falcon, which I didn't know. I'd never read a script, nothing. I got hired. John Barry was the first person hired on Star Wars. I was the third one because the DP they hired, who in the end couldn't do it. And I was just then told, be in London on August 13th, I believe it was, um, to start work. Now, Fox hadn't greenlit the film. They weren't willing to finance it. So George was owed money from American Graffiti and mm -hmm. Robert Watts was hired, who's the English um, production controller then. And to be able to do it, they needed all the sets, all the stages in EMI Studios. So they had to kind of work to pencil that in. So what we did was there were just five of us in a tiny little studios in London and George and Gary were there. When I got there, we were told, well, there's only $4 million and your budget was like 200,000, which was nothing to do this huge epic science fiction film. Oh. I sat down in this little studios and thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, and I broke it down and I realized we need these guns. There were spaceships, there were land speeders. Um, and John Barry, who's absolutely brilliant designer, worked with George all the time. And like, for instance, Obi-Wan had a huge cove complex. Yeah. When the Ralph Macquarie stuff, that went down to one little cave. That saved mm. a lot of money. John Barry had designed the little prince for Stanley Donan and said, George, come to Tunisia. I think I can just use it as it is. It's got an ancient, epic world to it that would be different. I'm just going to add some domes and a few things. And he took George down to Tunisia. And it was very, very cheap at the time to shoot there. It's near England. So it started to come together 
the first thing that John Barry had analyzed all of us, that it was Les Dilly, the art director, and I, was that R2-D2 and C-3PO were the storytellers. <laughs> they were, yes. They were... Yeah. They were minor characters, but they told the whole story, like Kurosawa's Forbidden um, Fortress. Yes. So if we didn't have – we could make C-3PO because they did it in 1927, 28 in a metropolis. metropolis and yeah. we knew we could build that around the right person. But R2-D2, there was no CGI. The radio no. control was really rough in those days. So um, we decided we had to make one work, like they did – with the Daleks and uh, silent running yep. round a small person. And we found Kenny Baker, who was three foot eight, and we measured the scales from Ralph Macquarie's painting. The first thing he ever did was the two of them in the desert. We knew how he had to be under four foot. So I hired a carpenter, Bill Harmon, who used to do all the Monty Python's work, and they really had no money. I mean, they <laughs> didn't even have horses. <laughs> no, that's right. It was the, the <laughs> yeah. we saw, we saw. <laughs> yeah, very good, so, very good. Bill had a huge sense of humour, <laughs> and yeah. he was used to no money, so he brought in some wood from his garage. I found a lamp top that was exactly the right size in a junk pile of the old electrical lamps they'd thrown away and we bought it for 10 shillings and we built r2d2 with legs around it so that kenny could move it and we we had to get him walking it was not easy but we finally got him to do it and the other problem was the land speeder you know there's a lot of discussions went on about well we could do as a hovercraft we could do this so we built Bill bought in some wheelbarrow wheels he had from wheelbarrows at home, and we built a mock-up <laughs> with old bits of plywood. And um, so we had to get the size right and how it looked, those two. And I, just to tell you, I, Gary Kurtz's wife, Meredith, at the time came to visit, um, and they were trying out the land speeder, they, they'd cut the front of a Volkswagen chassis and Bill had welded a motorbike wheel on the front um, and it crashed into the wall. Bits fell off it, the wings fell off and Meredith just stood there and said, wow, this sure ain't Hollywood, is it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, we're trying here. <laughs> yeah, and it sums it up. But, you know, that, it, we just kept going like that. And then I, I – thought of well i can't afford all these weapons and i hated science fiction weapons before that they went beep and they were plastic so <laughs> yeah yeah i wanted to make them around real guns so knowing baptist the hire house they gave me a um, sterling submachine gun and i got some t-strip stuck it on the barrel yep. i found these boxes of sights in in the gun hire place that were used in ireland i thought they're cool and i sucked those on and then I thought, well, Han Solo, he's constantly talking about him being a Western hero. So I found this Mauser that to me looked like a Western gunslinger's gun if he yes. was slightly more science fiction. So, again, I stuck bits on it, stuck some sights on it, and called George and said, "You, John Barry, you better bring him over here because if I'm not on the right track, then I'll get fired. And if I'm on the right track... Yeah, great. And George loved them and they could fire, you know, we could, they still worked. You could fire single bullets. You've got a dummies, you've got smoke and fire out of the barrel. They were great. And Cause a lot of it was, you liked the look at the weight 
right? You, want, you wanted the weight because that yeah. was important because you would see it in other things that yeah. didn't quite like if the cat, if the actor doesn't really believe yeah. that there's a heavy weapon on them, you can tell. And they're acting, yeah. they're, they're pretending that yeah. it's heavy. And once yeah. again, they're, they're adding to their workload unnecessarily, really, right? Yeah, yeah it, it was. I, I, I art directed a final program which was a science fiction film done in England. It's a crazy film. And uh, he had a needle gun, which was too light. I always thought it was too light, but that was the only thing we could do in those days. So um, <clears throat> George loved them. He stayed with me, got his fingers covered in super glue, and we made Princess Leia's gun. They're stuck around. Wow. Uh, uh, round, um, it's a, a target pistol that mm. had an interesting long barrel. So we made hers. And I knew then I was on the right track for everything. So I finally dared to go to John Barry and George and said, listen, I've been driving around pondering how in the hell – because you have to understand, Fox greenlit the film on December the 22nd. We moved to EMI when the cruise came on on Mm -hmm. January the 6th. We were shooting at the end of March. That's a quick turnaround. Now, for a science fiction film, it's, it was just insane. Um, and I knew part, I, well, sorry, uh, was there any part of you that were, were felt kind of daunted or intimidated given the quick turnaround plus the very small budget that you had to work with? No, no. <laughs> I think to me it was like I'm finally doing something I've been dreaming about since I was a kid, you know, and it was like I was a kid in a toy shop with no money, but I had wow. to make it work. And John <laughs> yeah, Barry was like that. He was such a support to George, and he was just finding mm. ways to do it. Um, and it, it, I, I knew there were aeroplane junkyards around, and I knew it was very lightweight, so it didn't cost anything. It was all sold by weight then. Mm-hmm. And I – you know, I used to drive around London thinking, how can I persuade them I could do this? And one day I thought, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I went in and said, listen, I've got an idea. I could make all the dressing of the sets, everything, loads of props to take to Tunisia out of airplane junk. And quite honestly, because George had made THX um, and John Barry trusted me because of what we were doing in Mexico and stuff, they both said, yeah, let's do it. Um then I was stuck because then I had to do it. <laughs> and you had to actually go, out, go ahead yeah. and do it as well. I didn't know that it would work, but um, <clears throat> as soon as we got to EMI, they put me on a little plane and I went around four airfields where all, and there were mountains. I can't tell you. I was buying Rolls Royce jet engines for 50 pounds. I mean, wow. Wow. I, I got enough i thought to dress the sets and then i thought well, you know this piping i bought drain pipe pvc drain pipes and i could get it in from like quarter of an inch up to about three foot sewer pipe so i bought a ton of that that was cheap i think i tell it in the documentary um frank bruton was the prop master and frank did David Lean's movies and, and Stanley Kubrick's, you know, he was a giant and he was the one kind, really good person for me on the whole movie. And he said, what do you want, boy? He called me boy. I mean, we were so young. <laughs> what do you want, boy? And I said, look, get it rid of all the shelves in here, all the stuff where curtains hang, everything. Just give me an empty space with some mm. metal shelving around it. So he said, all right, boy, the day the, low loader backed in 
with literally mountains of junk and there were jet engines strapped on in ropes and everything. I was just standing there. He was standing next to me. He didn't look at me. He just said, you know, you're mad, boy. <laughs> but well, genius him. comes to madness, they say. Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, and I thought, yeah, probably I am. But then he said, okay, boy, I'm putting tea on in my office. You'll be there in five minutes. Tell me what you need. And I did. I told him we need tools to break it down. I got to teach the prop boys how to layer it, how to, because I'd studied airplanes, I'd studied submarines, I'd been in them to look and everything, and everything is in duplicate, triplicate. Mm. You can't just stick mm. stuff on walls, and which you'll have seen in many science fiction films, they stick a few things on and think, and wow, that's that it. looks yeah. futuristic. Basic, simple. Work I had yeah. to crust it and well, age it. So many people doubted star wars right even people that worked on it i think um it's documented that particularly a lot of the british workers were like what is this guy on yeah what is this guy on but it sounds to me from what i've read and from the research i've done and particularly with what you said uh, earlier roger and you say this in the documentary about your vision of science fiction being like a spaceship in a garage dripping oil, yeah, you know, and the owner, he kind of has to keep it going. It's dented and it's old. It sounds to me like you got it. You got the vision. And so although there's these people that say, Oh yeah, it's mad. Was that annoying? Because this took a few years, like this took a few years to make like how, frustrating was it or was it that no you just had this this vision and you had to do it what what was that like well you know the four months john barry and i and les dilly become big friends with george Mm -hmm. so it went a long way and we're making his vision um the day we moved into emi because i'd already got the um bowcaster i'd found for chewy yeah. i'd made those guns i'd made the whole most of the guns the tuscan raiders they asked me to put it out on a table right so i laid it all out and then they all come in these pompous and you, you have to remember britain at the time a and one american culture was in the toilet there was yes. nothing that america would bring b science fiction was in the toilet so we were doing the worst thing C. George was a very young American who didn't sound like an American. He was a very quiet and dedicated filmmaker, so he wasn't lording it up and shouting at everybody. And <laughs> they, you know, if, if I ever told anybody at a dinner I was reading June or, or science fiction, they say, oh, yes, but it's not Shakespeare, is it? It's fluff. And right. That, attitude pervaded everything so when i laid my guns out in comes the first assistant the head of the props all these other people looked at it the first ad grabbed my uh stormtroopers blaster threw it at me across the tailor and said this is crap sorry we're doing a film for a big american science fiction director and walked off to get me fired so i just thought fine you know i'm this is how it's going to be and and in fact John Barry and I, Les Dilly and Norman Reynolds, we stuck by George. I didn't care. And the, the DP was one of the rudest people I've ever encountered. Really? And to George. Really? Awful. The first day on shoot, George was looking to line up and he walked across and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm looking at the shots. He said, I do that. You hand the actors. I set up all the shots. 
From then on, Gary Kurtz <laughs> acted as a mediator between for the entire shoot. Really? Yeah. So a, a lot Unreal. worse, but stuff, you know, I, I didn't want to go into it because I didn't want to get too negative. But when, um, when I went up, I went, uh, Rick McCullum took over and I happened to be mixing one of my movies up in San Francisco. He said, come up because I need to sort yeah. something out on a credit with you. And anyway, George wants to see you. So I go in. He introduced me into George's room, and George looked and he said, you know, Rick, only five people stood by my side on Star Wars, and Roger was one of them. And he since said that if you watch his talk with Christopher Nolan on filmmaking, he says it three times in there. That's fairly unusual for George to say that. As you know, he doesn't say it much no. anywhere. <laughs> That's amazing. But it's true, and I just got my head down. You know, I think probably I was stubborn from when I – was young and I grew up that way. And I went, you know, my first job was on Oliver as a tea boy making tea. John Box was one of the best designers I've ever worked for and a very unegotistical, fantastic. I mean, this man did Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, you know, and I was doing Oliver. The rest mm. of the crew were in suits and jackets and short hair and saying, get your hair cut, boy, get a suit, come on, shape up. You got your shirt unbuttoned down to your stomach. I, well, that was the picture you saw. Yeah. You know why? Because <laughs> it was the hottest summer on record when we got back to EMI. And of course, yeah. being Britain, there was no air conditioning then. Of course, I was mm. sweltering hot. So screw this. It just happened. That was the one photograph. But it's that you know, for the babes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's no. We, I know it's. I used to live with Star Wars. It was um, a year, eight, seven days a week. I call it eight days a week. And I, <laughs> yeah. I would go down the road going home at night, and there were three takeaways. Spud you like, you get a potato with cream with cheese in it, an Indian or a Chinese, and I would grab it on the way home every night at like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. We, we had no time to do anything. And so I just – decided this is what I've always wanted to do. And George and I and were friends, and um, we got stuck in and just did it. We didn't listen to anybody else. It's the best way to be, I think. And you said that, yeah. you know, that you were one of maybe five people who stood by George throughout the process of making that first film. You're also one of the first few people to read that script. Um, yes. So you said, of course, so as Luke and yourself have mentioned, you got it, you got the vision. But when yes. you read the script... Now, what, were your, what was going through your head then? What did you make of that script for that first film? Um, when knowing science fiction, and I thought, wow, this is really genius. And then, of course, the lightsaber came up, and I thought, wow, this is King Arthur. Yeah. You know, this is the science fiction version of it. That's why I took so much care in finding something, because I knew if anything became an icon, if this film worked, it would be that lightsaber. And mm. I loved it, but I... I grown up with King Arthur and I'd, I'd studied mythology a lot deeply and I knew the mythology that George had put into this, you know, the old Obi-Wan Kenobi, the knight, the young hero, the, 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 the kind of rebel with a heart of gold, which is Han, mm. and then Princess Leia. So I knew that this had all the elements. So I really loved it. I just was puzzling for 10 days, how am I going to do it? How am I going to get this done with this small amount of money um mm. and that I'm took sure over 
yeah, that took over my whole kind of thinking. What am I going to do? How can I make this work? Um, and the guns, you know, I love doing the weapons and um, knowing mm. that as I did, because I'd rented a lot of weapons during early years, um, they just set me up in the gun hire facility with a table and I was able to just go in and use super glue. Yeah. As you said, I kept super glue company going. I think I had so much <laughs> and I would collect junk. I got my buyer, buy anything. We found a telephone exchange in London in St. John's wood that closing down. We bought the whole lot for a few hundred dollars, everything in there, pipes, switches. Um, we'd buy anything we could junk, old cameras, calculators, anything and anything i saw like a magpie i think that's an interesting shape i didn't know what it would be for but i just collected mm -hmm. i got so much i had to move to another room <laughs> and the costume designer was always in there plundering bits for his costumes he would take and stick them on particularly on the on the jawas and um c3po and uh, not c3po on um 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 Chewy, Chewbacca, because he put stuff on him. They were all like junk pieces that I was collecting. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, unreal. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that these things, these objects, are so well known today. They are universal. Yeah. They transcend language. They almost transcend the franchise a little bit. You know, like kids know what a lightsaber is yes. without necessarily seeing Star Wars. Yeah. How how does that feel like knowing that your designs are being sold right now in <laughs> things like Disney World, you know, in shops around the planet? That must be so surreal. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I've always very much supported Star Wars because, you know, I, I have an eight-year-old now and my kids, you know, they it it is stories that are – you know, it's in a way it's given something for people to believe in, especially yes. if you look at yeah. America. You know, it's more important than it's getting more followers than religions or anything, and that's a good thing. It is the right, you know, the lightsaber is a sword of light, so it beats darkness. This is all the good things in it. Um, I, I did take issue, and I do still now, that the set decorator on Empire Strikes Back, who should have been doing period films, not science fiction, mm -hmm. added those rivets around Luke's lightsaber yeah, in yeah. the T-strip, which completely demystified it to me. It made it look human-made. And unfortunately, that one went right through to Ray at the end. Um I was watching Obi-Wan Kenobi and it goes back to these things showing and I thought, oh no, and I was waiting and I saw he's going to dig up a box and I thought, oh no, he's going to put the lightsaber in there and then the box <laughs> opened and there was my original. Thank I thank Dave Filoni wow. because I'm pretty sure it was him because mm. he's so anal about everything and there was Luke's, the, the Luke's father's lightsaber, the one that I had made for the first one in there. Yeah, mm. look at look at um, uh, Boba Fett. What does he do when he comes back? He's got my club. I found yeah. baptism and put an old piece of mace in the end of it to make it difference. There we go. That's his weapon, and it's and the you know the skeleton. John Barry had drawn a skeleton on the dunes. 
when C-3PO and, and uh, R2-D2 arrive on, on Tatooine. And I always thought this would be great to do that because it gives a history to the planet. There's something there, gives it a little bit more of an yeah. edge. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't obviously afford one or make one, nothing. And then Frank Bruton, the same prop master, one day said, here, here's a torch. Go up in the attic there. I'm throwing everything out. I need the space now. Go and see if there's anything you want. And up with a torch. And there was a full-size dinosaur skeleton in fiberglass. How's your life? I went, whoa, we got it down, put it in the parking lot. I showed George. He went, oh, I shipped it to Tunisia, and we put it in the dunes. And um, But that stayed there. You know, Robert Watts said, we can't afford to take it home, Roger. Sorry, we've got no budget left, so leave it there. And then David West Reynolds, who's in the uh, documentary, went and found it. Yes. And um, Rick McCollum had a lot of it shipped back to the ranch. But then that became the Crate Dragon. And, um, you know, and then you, the first set we ever did was the Millennium Falcon cockpit. That was the first one. And I was really right. nervous because right. I was throwing in scrap. And Harry Lang, bless him, did 2001. And he did it beautifully like 2001. And I kept going in and said, Harry, I'm going to mess this up. You know, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's, too it's clean. not too the nice. Millennium Falcon. <laughs> he kind of looked at me. And then he started to understand. And then when he'd done it, then I started to do stuff with it. He then, his son was 15. He was working with him. And Harry actually went out with his son with a wheelbarrow. And they were picking out bits of old airplane junk around the fields in London with a wheelbarrow and taking it back. (laughs) And I showed George that set because we'd finished dressing it. Um. And I could see his relief. There it was. There's the Millennium Falcon, you know, and we could only afford two angles, straight on and straight out because of hyperspace. But it was then I said, you know, George, I, I think we should personalize it. And, you know, Han was a gambler, and I thought the dice were in his car on American Graffiti, but they were in Ron Howard's Ron car. Howard, yeah. I said, why? I think we should have a pair of dice hanging in here. And they were very good luck for um, American Graffiti. And George said, well, that's a good idea. I got six pairs, big fluffy ones like they had, down to the chrome ones. And then he chose the chrome ones, which I'd chosen. And they weren't gold, were they? No, the silver. Yeah. After three shots, I still think it was the DP took them out, and they never went back. So they're in one or two shots in A New Hope only. And then JJ, who was very detail-oriented, put them yeah. in the cockpit in Phantom Menace. But the scene he put them in got cut out. <laughs> the Force Awakens. Again. But they came back as a huge emotional moment for Luke to give to Leia, yes. to remind her of yeah. him. Oh. And by then, yes, they. I think the lighting whoever put them back in JJ's thought they were gold. They weren't, they were silver, but they also changed the numbers from classic numbers to kind of star Wars. To the Arabish. Well, Gil- well, Gilbert Taylor, who was the DP managed yeah. to annoy George Lucas. And he also managed to take away the dice, yeah. which became legendary. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just hearing you talk about, you know, the, the lightsaber, the, the gaffy stick, which Boba Fett <laughs> brought back the, the Falcon. These things are revered. As you've just said, you know, people like JJ, mm-hmm. And his mm-hmm. particular side, these things have become revered um, yes. in pop culture around the world. 
just on the light side, because I, I, I didn't realise that in Obi-Wan Kenobi it was the original. For those who haven't heard, I mean, how did you create the lightsaber? <laughs> because originally it was just, we need a laser sword. What does it look like? Yes. Well, that's up to you. And secondly, have you, have you still got a that laser sword? I've got the Graflex handles, and uh, uh, there's one that was made. Yeah, some bits have been changed, but yeah, I have. It's somewhere here. I don't know if I can get it. Do you play with it? My son son wants to play with it. Um, I bring it out to people. Some people are in tears when they see it. They're literally crying. Don't show us. It's that kind of iconic. But um, what I did with the documentary, when I, I had to make, Luke's binoculars. Yeah, the macro binoculars, yeah. So I I found some camera parts that I thought, oh, well, these look quite interesting. And they were the only thing I ever drew up. I did some drawings, and I thought, how can I make these look like binoculars? And then I couldn't afford to make it. I didn't have the time or anything. So I found camera parts, super glued them together, sticking them. And then I thought, you know what? so that people would understand what he's doing, I wanted two camera lenses on the front. So I went to the camera rental place that we got everything from and got two lenses. And then I said, um, David, do you have anything? I, I need to make a weapon like a, he didn't know what a lightsaber was, just a weapon. Do you have anything? And he said, well, I don't know, have a rummage around like he did. There were boxes underneath the shelves and he's, they hadn't been open for a long time. And the first one I pulled out with the tissue paper, there was this Graflex handle. And, and I just thought, wow, I found the Holy Grail. And, and this was well into the production prep. Yeah. And they were hounding me to get a lightsaber because I'd got the weapons. And they said, got to go to Tunisia. You've got to get it made. What is it? And I'm going, yeah, I'm finding one. Don't worry. Because <laughs> I'd never found anything that had that gravitas it needed. And then there it was. It had a red firing button. It was beautiful. Mm. I got in the car, raced back. I had some T-strip left over from um, from the blaster. And I stuck that to make a handle out of it. And I thought, that looks interesting. And then it had a clasp that it fixed onto the press camera. That I didn't like, and literally, again, by chance, I'd been stripping down a um, Texas Instrument calculator in the morning, and the bubble strip that illuminated and magnified the numbers, it just fitted beautifully. And I thought, wow, that looks pretty interesting, and that was it. I called George over, and it was heavy. He just smiled, and we only had to uh, add a D-ring on the bottom to hang it on Luke's belt because it wasn't used in right. it was hanging on the belt. Yeah. And I made some more because um, I had to, in case it got lost or something happened, I made several. And I had to make one for the special effects boys because, again, it was me. I was doing some installations for art, and we were using um, front projection material mm-hmm. that glowed. Yeah. And I, I said maybe if we stuck a rod in it, we might get a glow out of it. And um, so I made a handle for the special effects guys they drilled it out and put a motor in it. And in fact, it got a glow. Gil Taylor again immediately rejected it, said, no, that won't work. <laughs> <laughs> but he had it's a gone. point because he said this, it would need so much light, it would ruin mm. my set lighting. So, I, yeah, yeah that, that I understood. But we tried it out and it glowed. It kind of worked in places. So um, it at least gave the rotoscope of something to handle. Yeah. When I recently went back, 
to the ranch, I went to the archives, and Laura in charge there said, I've got to show you something. We just opened a box that was still from 1977. We hadn't opened. Here's the original motor and the and the shaft on it. It's on a oh, piece of Disney wow. film. I'm holding it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, uh, I, it, you know, everything now is, is just part of this world. So it was David West Reynolds' fault. He just said to me, Roger, grab me at the Skywalker uh, picnic in July when I was mm-hmm. doing Phantom Menace. Said, you, you, going to have to write it down because you're the legacy no one else knows these stories nobody yes and i got that done and then it was like you've got to make this into your voice because everyone liked it when i told the stories at conventions and stuff so um again with no money i had to make this documentary and try to make it work and then covid struck and we had yeah we couldn't i couldn't go and interview people we couldn't get out and people couldn't come in we had locked in in canada Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of reinvent the wheel again, and I found a, a, a virtual studio where they made children's programming that had three cameras and a green screen studio. And I was able to link David Whiteley in London in, Paul Bateman, and we were together, and Paul Bateman painted virtual sets for me in the style of Ralph Macquarie. I thought that would further help. So I'm standing with Paul Bateman under the Millennium Falcon. I'm in the Millennium Falcon hold you know, you- in the desert with the um, interviewer, Richard Krause. So it was kind of deja vu for me. Just get your head down again. <laughs> Don't give in and try <laughs> to find a way to do this without much money. And my editor and I spent a year in, in, a, in a post-edit, very closed-off facility. There were only about five of us there, but <laughs> they gave me an edit room, and the two of us worked there figuring out how to do it. Um, Guillermo, who's a dear friend, wanted to really be part of this so i like with him i said how are we going to do it again he said i'll tell you what i'm on the uh, way to nightmare alley set I'll meet yeah, outside, Toro, yep. yeah um i'll meet you outside the netflix stage there'll just be me alone no assistance i came alone and i had one cameraman who had a sound and guillermo held the the boom mic for me and i held it for him we did it together and i wanted him because he's very erudite he he saw the film when he was a young kid he, he just went round the block four times just kept going back thinking wow how could anyone make a film like this i don't understand and it inspired him to be a filmmaker um i would have liked james cameron who said publicly in interviews when i saw star wars i decided that was it i had to be a director christopher nolan i met him and he said, I can tell you it was an 11 o'clock performance, exactly the city in America. I remember seeing it, and that was it. I had to go and make films. So, you know, these are the legacies. So yeah. as David said, he searched the archives when he was the head there at literature and everything. And if you look at the making of documentaries, the officials, my name or John Mayer is not even mentioned, let oh. alone what we did. and because George was so busy getting his movie made, I would get everything and show it to him. And he'd go, yeah, that's great. That was it. He didn't know what on earth we were going through to pull this stuff up. So they persuaded me as a legacy that I had to do this. So Yeah, yeah I think I think too right. 
too right and there's nothing i think that's a fantastic thing and it's 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 archives isn't it yes it's archives it's, it's documenting archives. yeah you know it's history and yeah. this is like what you've just said this is history of cinema this is yes. the history of cinema star wars changed so much you know we yeah. wouldn't have the lord of the rings films no. if it were for Star Wars. we wouldn't have marvel we wouldn't have so much of what we have today if it wasn't for 1977's yes. star wars yeah. so to na- name a few things a few things that you have built or helped build lightsabers r2d2 han solo's <laughs> dl44 stormtrooper blasters layers blaster the land speeder in a new hope ponda baba's blaster we love ponda baba gaffy right. stick aunt baru's kitchen and dining room the falcon cockpit <laughs> yes. blue milk blue milk yes. people blue death milk, star. we love but- the blue milk darth death star conference room the <laughs> cantina the yes. cantina chewy's bowcaster and much more do Ooh. you have a favorite from that roger what's your favorite um, thing that you have no, to create i have been asked about that the lightsaber does stand out and i just love it it's such a beautiful object and yeah mm-hmm. i don't play with it but i i hold it and i look at it and <laughs> are you looking at it right and, now roger it, it, it's in the cupboard but i can get it for you before we finish oh. Oh. Uh, um <clears throat> i i Blue milk was a nightmare. It sounds so easy. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, I get blueberries, mix it with some milk, it'll be fine. It, <laughs> it didn't work. It drove me nuts trying to get this to stick. <laughs> and I found some food coloring somehow. And then, of course, in Tunisia, they don't have milk and tea. It's mint tea. There's of course. very difficult of course. to get milk. I gave it to the prop boys because in Luke's homestead, I had to race to Gerba to get the um, exterior of the cantina ready, and I left it with them <laughs> to do. And, uh, Mark was a very good bit of acting because he swallowed it, but afterwards he said yeah. it tasted horrible. Uh, <laughs> either they use long-life milk, or I suspect they probably use camel milk. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> yeah, good lovely. for you. <laughs> um, so the blue milk was fun. Um I, you know, one of the things in the documentary, everyone's going, well, I didn't know that. I, we used to meet at 7.30 in my office in EMI Studios because I had a kettle, some tea bags, some milk. That's all you need. And boxes of McVitie's chocolate biscuits. Oh. Um, which the entire industry runs on. So they would all meet at 7.30, yeah, <laughs> biscuits and tea, right? And... um that was the only time often we would speak because we were so hammered to get done our days. And one day I said, you know, because Norman Reynolds was doing C-3PO, and I said, you know, I have a real pet uh, dislike of these eyes in robots when you know there's somebody behind there and everything. Yeah. And I said, I, I had a thought. I was watching something on TV where they do the one-way mirror for when a, a, a witness is trying to choose – one of the criminals. And I said, why don't we do that with a little piece of glass or something in the eye? And he said, that's a good idea. You do the eyes. And I I had so much work, I couldn't get through my day. And I thought, why did I open my mouth? But I got that to do. So I did. I, we, we invented up with plexiglass, which is Perspex in England. Yep. And I found a little company who one-way mirrored it, and um, I got them machined and everything right. It worked, but Ralph Macquarie had put those lights in it, 
they were lighting up and I thought this is really cool and I couldn't do it but again it was just sheer serendipity one late at night I was watching a program and it was then that they put a camera inside a body for the very first time and I called my buyer then I said listen these bulbs can't get get hot find them find them for me he searched hospitals (laughs) (laughs) medical supply places he finally found them bought me a load of them they didn't get hot and i managed to put three in made little holes and dug them in and then norman had a terrible problem hiding the battery inside the suit but they lit up you know and to me i was talking about it not long ago when you think the eyes are well joseph campbell said it eyes are the windows to the soul and i thought yeah yeah in a way these eyes lit up and his eyes create a character that you really like and mm. give him something that was certainly wasn't there with metropolis or the others so those are a kind yeah. of favorite little thing and it was really difficult to do i love the stormtroopers blaster i i i love sterling submachine guns yeah. i think they're beautiful not to use i don't never want to <laughs> yeah, of course subject at the moment but um they're just beautifully designed and in fact the son of the designer has contacted me since saying that thanking me and that he wanted to revive the name and wondering if he could do the same like with Graflex and with the Sterling because it's such a classic name and everything. And I said, you've got to do it. It's a very good idea, you know. But the lightsaber does stand out. That and the little tiny, um, (laughs) because it was such a a funny moment, is the little comlink. That... Two things that as objects that I love, you know, and Luke's binoculars, obviously, they disappeared. They're gone. No one knows the originals, anything. But Todd Coyle, he made um, an exact replica. He was in touch with me asking what I did, how was this, everything. He sourced everything that I used, everything, even an electrical box on the side, a video connector. He said took two years to find. So he sent them up to me. He'd made a perfect reproduction of Chewie's um, bowcaster. Yeah. And holding these, I remember in my, I got them out of the box. He sent me this stuff, and I was holding them again, and I thought, well, wow, these are really cool. You know, they're really a, a, look like what they are. So I think those two, and then the little comlink, because it was such a, a – funny moment that i found it when george wanted one i'd never even thought about it the best thing i'm hearing about the creation of a new hope and the props and the sets was it sounds like for a lot of the time you were just running around your south of england or the united kingdom picking up as much stuff as you can but really having to get creative with it and looking at a film which grossed what 550 million dollars on its opening run on that budget i mean that's one hell of an achievement but you (laughs) but Again, with George's trust, he then asked you to come back for Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace as the second unit director. What did George have you do on those films and how different was it working on those films compared to, obviously, the the much lower budget of A New Hope? Uh, quite interesting. I mean, I was waiting for my feature, The Sender, to trigger and that when yeah. they called me and George had, um, with Black Angel, the 
first short film that I wrote that I couldn't afford to make again, um, he guaranteed its release when he read it to go out with Empire Strikes Back. So the British government gave me £25,000. And then I made another short film with Paramount, again with the ED money from the British government, and that won an Academy Award as Best Dramatic Short. So I was kind of on my way. I was waiting for Paramount to green light the sender when I got a call from George saying, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm just waiting. We're prepped. We're ready to go. And he said, could you come and take over? Because he was doing second unit on Jedi and he wanted to spend more time with Richard Marquand because, you know, he, he felt he'd stepped back too far on, on um, Empire. So, I turned up and, um, <laughs> yeah, Robert Watson, George, said, come with us. George has got to go. He's, we're so far behind the schedule and we, we have to get out of this set. There was a massive battleship scene whereby a piece of a f- engine blew off and crashed through the cockpit not the cockpit, but the windows on the side crashed in. There were two layers. They were all his stuntmen already prepared, rehearsed. He's, they over said, take you, it Roger. over. <laughs> yeah, they did, literally. There's six cameras, just take it over. We got to go. So um, I <laughs> I got, you know, I was doing all of that. I got Harrison Ford when he um, comes out of carbon freezing. They couldn't schedule him in, so I got to shoot that which was great for me, obviously. And then I got mm. stuck on Ewoks. <laughs> How was and that? George, well, George said, can you do the party scenes at the end? And I had Jim Henson. We had babies in nests dancing. I was bossing <laughs> Warwick Davis around doing somersaults. and doing. Were you <laughs> leading the dance moves, Roger? <laughs> yeah, that was me. I had 10 days of Ewoks. And George was loving it. I think he was thinking about the Ewok film to come, you know, and I kept saying, George, can I just do some second unit? Even if I'm doing switches going on and off, please get me off these Ewoks. No, no, do this now, do that. So (laughs) I had 10 days of Ewoks. um, 10 days in and you could speak Ewokese. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Still recovering. Yeah. 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 They're funny. They're funny little things. So, you know, it was. They are. Yeah. And they, we, we grew up with that stuff. Yes, we grew up exactly. with that stuff. And to us, because I know that wasn't everyone's cup of tea when it came out. No, but, but they're great. But for us, when we watched it, when we were kids, because we weren't even around yes. when it when Jedi came out. Yes. Like, like, I just, I don't think about it. I don't think, yes. oh, this is a bit stupid. Like, you don't, you don't no. think like that. You just love it. You buy into it because yes. everything, everything makes sense. I do yeah. want to ask about a very special character, someone who's very close to my heart, Roger. Um, can you please tell us about the magnificent Watto of the Phantom Menace? Yeah, well, you know, going on Phantom Menace, that I, George, <laughs> I got to see them and I said, who's doing second unit? Because I love yeah. this world and haven't done Jedi. And they said, no, no, we don't need second unit directors. We're, George is doing it all. Don't worry. We, 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 we only have a few scenes and Ben Burt's going to do them. And I, I, I said, just put my name down. <laughs> I thought, you're in denial. And George doesn't like shooting very much. Right. You know, yeah. For him, yeah. it's a pain being away from the kids and the ranch. 
So I put my name down. Then I, that was another call I got. What are you doing? And I said, no, I'm in the club. Out. <laughs> Get Drive here now. And I drove up and then I understood. And they said, you've got to make a decision right away. Um, and I said, well, I, I'm in the middle of doing the post video um, color timing for um, this film I'd done with Dennis Leary and Joe Montaigne. And uh, I said, I could do that. And then they said, no, no, you don't understand. You've got five minutes. Give us an answer. You've got to start now. So I rearranged that. And then I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll stay and do it because I wanted to. And then they said, come with us. They already had an office and an assistant set up and a meeting already then, and that meeting showed me why we were first unit on the Senate, Imperial Senate, flying around, because they couldn't schedule that in. So six scenes, my crew had to be first unit to set the tone. Um, and then, you know, I got, George said, yeah, I'm, you're going to deal with R2-D2 because you've got more patience than me with him. And so <laughs> there's the difference. Our one didn't work. You know, when we went to the desert on the first film, John Barry called Les and I into the office before we went and said, listen, I don't trust John Steers and the radio control, and you're going to be miles out in the desert. Make a lightweight one that we can pull on fishing wire. And we did. And he said, hide it in the truck. Don't tell anyone. The only person he told was Gary Kurtz. On the first morning, his it went completely out of control, crashed over. John Steers blamed it on the taxis. Well, we're like three miles up a desert track from a, a tiny little town that had a few donkeys and two taxis. So um, I think... The difference then was this R2-D2 really worked. It was great, uh, you know, and it would radio control everything. So I got to film, actually, C-3PO and R2-D2's meeting, and that classic line of Carrie Fisher's. And he says, what do you mean, naked? Yes. I got to film that whole scene, you know. I was wow. saying, you have to realize this is cinema history in terms of the, the, the drama of Star Wars when you look at the story. A lot of stuff like that. Watto, I only saw roughs because they had everything mapped out, um, John Knoll, and we, we had a lot of previs in those days. But yeah. Um, yeah. And we had an actor with a Chinese coolie hat on his head running around doing him, who still did the voice. Um, but, you know, when I saw it, and I did a lot of the pod race on Phantom Menace, we, I did a That's lot right. of the crowd wow. scenes and um, so much of that stuff. And we were in 50, 60 degrees heat, and I was doing 14-hour days in that. Ewing was okay. Wow. He kept up with it. Um, Liam and Natalie would disappear at 2 o'clock, so we, we just can't do it. It was scorching hot. We fried an egg on R2-D2 to prove how hot it was. <laughs> no way. Yeah. We, so if you look closer, wow. you might be able to see some eggshell on his, on his bones <laughs> yeah, at some point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, when – and that film, I, I did most of Jar Jar Binks' work because he was what he was and getting into trouble and doing all of that. I filmed all of that. See, here's the difference. When you see kids – 
see that movie, their favorite character is Jar Jar Binks. And George yeah. makes his movies for nine years old. That's his target audience. It's not his fault. Adults like them as well. And um, when I saw Watto, I, I remember saying, this has changed cinema. This is the first CGI character who you cannot not say is real. He's amazing what they did with him, and that changed cinema again. Yeah, it, it changed. Did. It did. It changed the world. Well, you know, we've had Ahmed actually on the show. Yeah, talk about he's a wonderful man. I loved him. Amazing, amazing guy. Amazing. Thank, One of our best episodes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so happy now. It's being reevaluated, you know. And I've, I've, I say to everybody, I'm sorry, but the prod race is worth the price of admission. Just those minutes of that pod rice. It's you know, it, it's a groundbreaking movie. I think, not just because I was I such a big part of it. I, I, and then George had to leave and go back because of the scheduling problem. So I finished. I wrapped um, you and McGregor. I wrapped a lot of the other stuff on it. I did the last few well, days of shooting first unit after George had gone. And it was, to be honest with you, it was no difference. Um, the budget was $110 million, which was George's own money. He didn't take it from anybody else, mortgaged the house and everything. Rick McCullum told me when we were talking, he'd sent the script into the Hollywood studios and said, could you budget? And it came out at $400 million. So... It was still made the same way. There was only George. There were no huge studio execs telling him what to do. You can't do that. There were kids on the set. I can't remember an argument in those 12 weeks of shooting when it was really intense. So nothing much had changed, to be honest with you. There was just um, George didn't have to worry about people being rude to him or condemning him or saying this was a pile of rubbish, you know, that they, they were then in awe of him, quite yeah. honestly. Um, yeah. And that made it much better experience for him to make it. Well, you've worked mm. on three films, which could be considered, you know, groundbreaking or classics in cinema, obviously a new hope for everything it gave cinema return of the Jedi at the time was, the end of the classic trilogy. And as yes. you just mentioned, the Phantom Menace for all of its breakthroughs and technological wonderments. And w I'm working on those films. Obviously looking back, uh, uh, what was your kind of one overriding kind of favorite moment? If there was one thing, is there one kind of time that sticks out when you thought, yeah, that encapsulates it all. Uh, walking on, on the set with the millennium Falcon, you know, and John Barry, had to build it full size, but we can only do half of it. And I remember just watching people come on and their jaws dropped because there was this spaceship dripping oil and it had pipes going in like airplanes being refueled and bits of old mechanics around it and everything. And I honestly used to just watch <laughs> anyone coming on. Alan Ladd, when he came around, realized, wow, what are we doing? And then... It hadn't been seen before. Yeah, but, the, you know, for me, it's it was really discussed, and it's why I put a lot into the um, documentary on it. John Barry 
was coming home and he hadn't found the exterior of the cantina in Mos Eisley. And as he was driving to the airport over the bridge, he saw in Gerber these domed buildings. So he turned around, raced down, and there was the perfect square where we could build it. But he took all these photographs and there was an olive tree that would have been on the angle of them walking into the cantina and it spoiled it. So he drew a full-size Boeing 747 <laughs> crash spaceship, <laughs> which they put up a skeleton and it was down to me to make it look real, this thing. Um, and I, we, we persuaded John to buy a, a vac forming machine, which was prototype never been done before then to stamp out panels, which basically made star Wars possible to be made. They stamped out three, three POs costume from it. And he was able to build all the death star just on wooden frames and staple these panels up and they were just sprayed in. So I grabbed a load of these back form panels, which were very light, threw them on the truck going down to Tunisia. And I got up myself on ladders and I stuck them on and I, I got blow torches and made it look like old distressed metal and put bits of engines and everything up like that. And I've always marveled at this thing that no one's ever commented. It's just a crashed spaceship and, and Obi-Wan and Luke and it walks past it with the droids going into the cantina. And that, again, look at every Star Wars movie since. It's just crashed spaceships in them. It's set, a, yep. it's set a, mm. a kind of thing for it. And, yeah. you know, that cantina was just such a joy. And I thought, you know what? He wants a spaghetti Western. I'm going to make a, a spaghetti Western. You're going to do it. Post. Yeah. And I got all the vehicles up that were used in, in Tozer. I got everything on the truck. I got the animals up. I got anything I could find, unused speeders, anything, and just try, kind of dressed it. And it's a kind of walked past scene you know it's not really focused on it's just them going in the door but um i love that set i think it just there was something about it and of course the interior is just it's a it's a genius of ralph it's Macquarie doing gorgeous yeah gorgeous and, and they used see the, the draftsman who thought i was nuts bringing all this scrap and stuff in by the time they started to go on. And then John Barry just said, go down and get bits. And they went and got my drain piping and they got bits of my Rolls Royce engines and they had them plated chrome. And that's the whole bar is my airplane scrap and PVC piping. And who, and you don't think that when you, you don't look at that scene and think, Oh yeah, no. that's just bits of airplane. No, no. you don't at all. No. At no, all, no, no, it's just what it is. So, yeah. no, so you know that. But it's the, its the, own vernacular, its yes. own taste, its own flavour. Yeah, and and it's crazy that we're still seeing it today. Yes, I know. Today, it, and that is Roger because it's timeless. It yeah, is timeless. So. Yeah. so, thank you, thank so it's you. It's in the Mandalorian, obviously. You know, the cantina's there. I mean, it's different, but it's. It's all there. And in fact, it's I noticed some of the sets were yeah. the, the Ralph design that didn't work, that John Barry had to redesign because you couldn't see the robots 
being stopped from coming in from the bar where the action was. So John redesigned Ralph Macquarie's one, but that original design is actually in The Mandalorian. I recognized it. It was taken by Ralph from... Um, wow. ...from um, Casablanca, from Harry's so, bar, same arches. So you, in, you said earlier there's a few secrets in your documentary that's out at the moment galaxy built on hope right now can you share just one tidbit that a lot of our listeners from around the world won't necessarily know some something juicy that will tease them for galaxy built on hope is there anything you can give us well the, the, there's there's things in the interview with david french who where I discovered the lightsaber, that's obviously a big one, and I got him interviewed for it. He'd never been seen before. No one's ever known about this man. Wow. There's a very good interview with Bill Harmon, who's the carpenter, and he's got the box still whereby, as he says, out of this little box, all of the Star Wars um, prototypes for the land speeders, the um, R2-D2, all came out of this little box. He still got it, the same same carpentry instruments, because we couldn't afford anything. There was no studio, nothing. He had to bring stuff in from the wow. garage. Wow. There's the story of how I found the Comlink, which I think is really fun, and it's just a silly story, but it's really uh, – it shows what we were doing. And then I also – you know, I couldn't show clips of the film because they don't relate. They, when you look at it, course, yeah. like like if you look at the film, Obi-Wan, you don't even see the lightsaber in the box. He just picks something out. He gives it to Luke. You don't see it. He pushes a button and it fires up. That wouldn't have illustrated what I went through. So I, I designed animation sequences right. that would show that better. Um the influences like you know kurosawa was a big influence and i really went into that and showed sequences of kurosawa i got the rights to show metropolis and how she walked the gold gold robot they, they mm. allowed me to have that for the to show how the design of c3po came about and how we modified it yeah yeah um <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there. You know, no one knows, like the trench run, there's a big influence that I I, I couldn't get the um, footage, but I had a whole animation. They did a realistic re um, reimagining the bombing yeah. run of the trench. I mean, there's stuff like that in it. There's a lot of things. I think it's, um, it's, it's an essential piece of viewing for the star wars geek for the star wars fan isn't it really there is so yeah, much I made in it there. for them that's and what. so now yeah now we've got to get it out to the fans yeah, you know it, we, we don't have exactly. a studio we don't have press and pr and advertising so but it is for them and I, we decided it would be this two hours and 25 minutes whatever it is everything's in it this is a special for the fans if this ever goes to a streamer it's going to get cut right down as they do that's fine but this is like with all the extras and everything that people want, you know, and there was more, but we had to put a stop to it at some point. And um, yeah. Yeah. I tried it out on fans and they said, no, no, you just keep this, please. These are stories we, you know, and it, it's, you can see a part of it. Okay. And then go off and have a cup of tea and then come back. It's done like that. 
And of course. Basically, when I wrote the book, it wasn't to say, look what I did, look at what I've accomplished. It's more of a mentoring for people because when I did the book, the last line in my book says, don't let anyone tell you you can't. You can. And I really yeah. wanted to pass the mantle on to, you know, generations of people, no matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter, just do what you believe in. It's not the success that matters, it's the doing it. That's the hero's mm. journey. That's accomplishing something for yourself. That's what matters. We, we hear enough people, big famous celebrities saying, follow your dream, you know, follow your dream, you'll be like me. No, that's not what it's about. It's We won't be like Brad Pitt or even George Lucas, but you can follow your path, you know, and a lot of people, Phil Tippett, these geniuses, the model builders, you know, they, they just relish in what they did because they did it and they did it to the best of their ability. And that's really what I wanted to impart to people to, as he says, Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. Um, and I wanted to give back to George, quite honestly, because he's had a fairly a lot of criticism over stuff and everything, but this man wrote this story and he wrote this legend and you can do all the NFTs and special effects <laughs> and massive you want, but unless you have a story to yeah. put on and he's created such a kind of an amazing thing for all of us. And that's mm. by the end, past the credits, there's this kind of Easter egg. And I wanted to show just normal people. We, we couldn't get it in before, but I got, you know, the, he owns the prop store in London. He's talking about as a kid collecting cards, and it became a huge business for him, just collecting. And then I've got kids in Malaysia and people playing lightsabers, some guys who do Japanese puppetry with Star Wars characters. And at the end there... I thought, well, my son's nine, eight, and he's carried on loving Star Wars, not because I did it. It's just part of his world, as you said. It's like, you know, it, it exists for him. So he was the only one. I gave him the lightsaber, and I thought, well, you know, this is this is a kind of gift for George because after um, I went to see him a few years back, we were walking back, and he said, you know, I stopped directing for such a long time. And I said, I know, George, and I know the first film was pretty – tying for you and everything he said quite honestly my family is more important to me than all of this yeah and that's what it's about that's, what it's, that's all about. what it's about so i thought i'll put arju my son in now and i gave him the lightsaber and he's the only one in the whole thing who says may the force be with you <laughs> so oh, it yes. was like a gift for george of showing yeah he, you know we're handing on the mantle to the young of course well you built yeah. you, you made this documentary for the fans you followed your path and alongside john barry norman reynolds leslie dilly it led you to the academy award for best art direction set direction which is must be like for all the creativity under pressure you showed what yeah. an accolade to receive and i guess we're talking about galaxy built on hope we want we've seen it we loved it thank you for sharing we want Good. people to see it where where can people fight by or watch galaxy built on hope now on the website galaxybuiltonhope.com and then you can buy blu-rays or dvds now so that's how we've started and then we'll see what happens i just got to get it known now uh there is a youtube channel but that's just showing 
kind of promos and things like that, but it's gathering steam. But mostly we wanted to do Blu-rays. And, and you know, the, the Star Wars collectors buck all the trends of Blu-rays. Yes. They're huge numbers sold because they yep. want something on the shelf. You know, whenever physical. I've been anywhere, they want it signed. You want it physical because you never know. I mean, Disney yeah. at the end could say, you know what, it's enough of the first film. We'll pull it. We don't need it anymore. Then it's gone. Yep. And this happens a lot. So, you know, I like to have Blu-rays here. They're very precious things to me. I know I've got them, and there they are. And then people sign them. You know, it gives them a little bit of a special. Eventually, there'll be a download. But we thought at first, let's just see how we go and let Blu-rays go out and try to get it known to the fans. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I can't wait for people to watch this. Galaxybuiltonhope.com. That's where yeah, people it, can go, support, watch, and uh, get their Blu-rays. Man, yes. it, how, how special. Thank you so much. Not at all. For, Thank you for having for me everything, on. Roger. Yeah, it's been yeah. brilliant. One last question. Yes. You, obviously, you, you, you're a Brit. You're over yes. in Canada at the moment, but you're a Brit. It is yes. Star Wars Celebration yes. in London next year. It's coming home, Roger. Yeah. Will you be coming I'm, home? I'm going to try to do everything I can to be there. I have to be there, and I'll, I'll take a stack of, of Blu-rays with me or something. And when, but when you're there, we'll buy you a pint. Okay. No, I can't drink. I'm allergic to all alcohol. Can you imagine? Oh, so, we'll, buy you, we'll buy you a coffee. My, or, well, or <laughs> listen, my eldest son, he was at Edinburgh University. When he got to 17, I went down to my father's house in Devon. We went to one of these beautiful old pubs, and I said, come on, then I'll buy you a pint. It was his first pint. Oh. And I had a pot of tea. And he was looking at me and saying, God, it's just my luck, my first pint with my dad, and you're drinking tea. <laughs> you said, look, I'm the guy who created the lightsaber. I'm yeah. allowed a cup of tea. Yeah, I went through the ringer to make this. To, to there get you go. So there yeah. you go. That's what it'll be, a pot of tea. That sounds like a plan, Roger. That sounds like your plan. We'll, we'll see you when you're back yes. in London. Thank you yep. so much. We'll be plugging this on socials and thank we'll you. be spreading the word. So you're great. thank, thank you, you for spending much. some of your time with us. We're so grateful. Thank you. We're so, so honoured. And film. once again, yeah, like Matty Boy said, thank you for everything you've done for our mytholo mythology, our Star Wars, our childhood. Thank yeah. you. No, it's very important. Very, very important to me, all of that. So I'm glad. I'm happy. You know, I just, when I hear the feedback, that's what makes me happy. People have connected to the mythology of it. Yeah. Roger, may the force okay. be with you. May the force be with you. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Cheers. Hello, this is Ahmed Best. I am Jar Jar Binks in the prequels of Star Wars. And you're listening to Star Wars Sessions, which is probably the UK's best Star Wars program. Well, that was a trip, wasn't it, Luke Bly? Roger Christian, thank you so much for coming on. Star Wars royalty, film icon, film legend. We're saying without Roger... You know, we don't get Alien, we don't get Blade Runner, we don't get these universes that have become pop culture zeitgeist moments. It's all down to Roger and the team who worked on Star Wars. So I was honoured to talk to him. He's a top guy. How cool was that? 
it, it was it was surreal mate really really surreal. like you said big deal he's a really 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 big deal and it's a pleasure pleasure to uh talk to someone like roger man so yeah can't can't wait to tell people about it and for people to also see galaxy built on hope so uh cool stuff man galaxy built on hope dot com and when you're watching it just remember roger christian loves a mcvitie's biscuit with his cup of tea now we've pulled the essex falcon outside of our favorite dusty drinking hole we may have a cup of tea in there it's called the bantina the only question that remains luke is shall we let's do it can i offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative a libation can I persuade you to join us for a drink? Anthony, give me the spiciest drink you got. Pour me another Park Kellen sling. Where are you going, master? For a drink? Well, biscuits, tea. Yeah, here we are for those old and for those new to the show. Each week, we sit down here in the Bantina with you guys, the greatest listeners in the galaxy. We have a few Kef beers. We get your thoughts on our main discussion. And of course, this week we had the legend Roger Christian on. So we wanted mm. to ask... And no, what was your favourite prop in Star Wars? Yes, we got some sweet responses, <laughs> Matty Boy. <laughs> Matty Boy is staring me down on the camera. He loves it. Yeah, we got some great responses, varied responses too. Very proud of uh, our listeners and what they've come up with. Matthew Vlosak said the DL44 Blaster. Great shout. Our friends from the northeast of England at Star Wars Podcast, and they are just purely belter uh, said the jedi communicators from the phantom menace were always so eye-catching as a child watching that movie and then of course the contact chip reader for the figs was designed to look like them yeah, yeah. Sure. great shout great shout uh, part-time adult 87 sick username said luke's tie fighter helmet just love the whole look i have the replica and it really stands out mm. and lee drain said the graphics lightsaber yes great shout yeah. great great, great shout from everyone there so thank you so much lee cosplays as luke skywalker and he loves a lightsaber um rebel scum texan said aunt baru's blue milk pitcher well we know great that uh, our boy roger came up with blue milk so how about that one um chantal said i love blasters and of course lightsaber george turner and eve evangel both went for koi gon's lady shaver communicator <laughs> and andrew sheard said han solo's lucky dice i keep them in my car i mean that wasn't that well, wasn't all the responses we got we got a variation across all of our social medias so thank you everyone for sending those in luke what's your favorite prop from star wars it's got to be as well the lady shaver from Phantom Menace. <laughs> the day I found that out, I was like, are you joking? That yeah, can't be real. You know, I know Star Wars uses real life stuff in in the production, but that just, I mean, that's just the creme de la creme, isn't it? Surely. Uh, yeah, true. that and, uh, you know, I love lightsaber. I don't know if this counts, but the land speeder as well in A New Hope. Oh, my as well. delicious delicious what about you buddy what are you saying uh, obviously your head immediately goes to the lightsaber yeah what, what yeah. roger 
came up with was then has now been replicated and molded into every every major character has their own version of a lightsaber. But it all started with that first Graflex model. Um, but I'm a bit partial to um, the DL44. I just think it, you know, Han and that weapon go. You know they're intrinsically linked to each other. So he, I can't imagine him with anything else. I cannot imagine him holding anything else. And even when he held the bowcaster in the Force Awakens, it looked boss. I was like, man, you, you got to get your DL forty four out again, man. So yeah, obviously the lightsaber, Han's blaster. I mean, there's so many other things. You know, like the breathing apparatus they use in the Phantom Menace to go underwater. That's a lot of that. That looks great as well. Shout! There's so shout. many things, my friend. Honestly, Phantom Menace, so mate. Many. Phantom Menace, delivering the goods once again. We love it. We love that. Yeah, as I said, that wasn't all of the responses we got. Check out our socials for to read what other people said. And if we didn't read your uh, response at this week, please don't be disheartened. Do continue to engage with our posts, and we'll do everything we can to feature you on a future edition of The Bantina. For extra content, go to patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. You know it's going to be so good. Best podcast. Best podcast. Mm, best podcast. Yes, that's right. Spices by the the Patreon question section. Yes, sickheads. Are you ready? Are you ready, matey boy? Are you ready? I'm ready, matey boy. I, I don't know, mate. I don't know. Well, okay. So to start us off, Sammy Cudmore. Is he Canadian? Is he from Florida? We're not sure. Hey, fellas. Look, that, now this is weird. This gets weird, okay? Because Sammy sent this in before Star Wars Celebration. I think it was like the week of Star Wars Celebration. Sammy sent this in. And he, he, he asked this. Wait for it. Hey, fellas, I like Jude Law. That's it. That's well, all that's, he said. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do I. He's great. Good looking guy. Brick. He, good actor. he basically predicted that Jude Law is going to be in Skeleton Crew in Star Wars. Man. In the Star Wars TV show streaming on Disney Plus exclusively, maybe next year. No, Sammy goes, hey, fellas, I like Jude Law in the film The Holiday. I'm a weeper. Films, TV shows, sometimes they get me good. I know for certain there are going to be moments during Kenobi that I will be tearing up. Do either of you lads think you might get a little teary-eyed at any point during Kenobi? If so... What kind of scene or scenario would evoke such emotions? Cheers, Sammy. Oh my word, what a good question. What a good question. May boy, what are you saying, mate? That's a really good question, Sammy, mate. Um, the holiday. Good good, good shout. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What would I say? I mean, you, I mean, five, seven, eight years ago, I'd say, you know, I don't usually cry at films or TV series or much, really. Not because I'm so hard-nosed, but, you know, I didn't really. And then I became a father and everything changed. I cried everything. I cried at my daughter's assembly the other day. It was beautiful, though. Um, so now, I, the, the, the short answer is probably anything. However, I think if we when when we get the one of the battles between Vader and Obi-Wan, you know, if, possibly like a rendition of music, maybe like a battle of the heroes, or if it could come down to a line of dialogue, which makes me think of the old times, like Obi-Wan might say yes. something like, you know, Padme thought there was good in Houston or something. And then yeah. you know, how that, how I will react. Cause then I'll immediately go back to Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. And it takes me back to that time as well. Like going back to the early noughties, mid noughties. 
so that it's it could it, it may also be something that evokes a feeling rather than something actually on screen because i'm i'm thinking now you know i think Spawn. obi-wan versus vader is just going to be like fabulous i certainly hope it's going to be a fantastic couple of fights um but i i, I don't know what else could you know maybe like a re- seeing obi-wan and anakin skywalker like you and mcgregor has said you know he said i acted alongside anakin you know maybe a flashback to that era maybe that would do it because again it evokes the feeling and the memories so i you know it, it i i don't i can't put my finger on any, any one thing for certain only because i don't know what's going to happen who might show up you know but it could be more something that takes me back to you know those you know halcyon days of the prequel trilogy when everything seemed great in the world because we're all younger we haven't got any issues apart from i've got to wait three years for a new star wars to come out so but for me possibly a music cue that sounds mm. like whenever i hear the battle, when i hear the battle of the heroes in that first trailer i almost mm. crumple to the floor because it was perfectly perfectly executed oh uh, you think so i was waiting for that it was just was epic it, spoke, it fit it took me back to the battle it took me back to 2005 thinking we'd never see this or even hear this music again in star wars so possibly a music cue mate or uh an uh, an evoking of a memory past but what about you because um i can't imagine you breaking down in tears watching uh kenobi but at the same time i could be proved wrong i don't know mate i can be a little i, I can be a little soppy sometimes you know he can i i can be soppy sometimes i think i think maybe i mean that nostalgia here man seeing that seeing that flipping t16 it hit me hard because my brother and i have that we still have that model that our granddad got us got my brother really and it like kind of became ours you know what it's like when you're you're the younger sibling (laughs) you know how it is but like i do you know you know mate boy but like yeah even with that it it just it evoked emotion for me that i weren't expecting it's a toy i've seen it before i've seen it a million one times but to see it there it was just like wow that is that's special but i think for me sammy it's got to be kenobi toward the end of the series just realizing his purpose in life is to look after Mm. this boy and cue the music cue him looking at luke or something like that it, 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 sometimes it's it, you can't even explain it and it usually is the things you can't put into words you can't necessarily articulate clearly that you know can make you really cry man yeah but man. i i have a feeling sammy i will say this i have a feeling this series will do that I have, a seri- I, I, I have a feeling this series will do that. And I think this series is all about a, a, a movement from fear to hope. That's the theme of the series because that's where Obi-Wan's mind is at the moment. It's fearful. And yeah. I think it needs to kind of, re- he needs to mentally reposition himself, reevaluate his faith and get into a position of hope like no we got this i just need to be patient i need to just believe and i think that could be extremely beautiful and 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 actually quite powerful very powerful sammy fantastic question mate brilliant use of patreon brilliant use of patreon question i love it i love it thanks mate sammy you're a king yeah great question uh and and to you as well 
mate what you know what moment could evoke that kind of feeling in you and to our listeners is there one thing that could happen in the kenobi series that would have you bawling your eyes out do let us know um we've got another question here and it's from paul Marlholland, and he said when obi-wan burned maul's corpse had he learned his lesson after not finishing off anakin and was making sure he could have saved the galaxy a lot of hassle instead of leaving a job half done uh lukey boy what are you thinking right i don't know uh, when obi-wan burned maul's corpse had he learned his lesson after not because he didn't finish anakin off did he, he just left him there to burn he, <laughs> it, didn't, he didn't make sure i don't know if that's what he was thinking man <laughs> I, I just don't you imagine i think finish his job. yeah I, I don't think i don't think that's what that scene's about and i don't think that's what happened like yeah i i, I i'm kind of thinking that um with maul Obi-Wan can see that his his whole purpose in life... I love that they're Kenobi themed, by the way. Uh, both these questions. Um, I, I, I think Obi-Wan at that time can sense and feel that Obi-Wan's whole purpose in life is to hunt him down and kill him. Whereas yeah. Obi-Wan is so beyond that. Like, he's so past 1999. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, he, he almost has this pity for, for more. And... I think there's just that bit of humanity between them when he's like, you know, is he the is he the chosen one? And he's like, he is. I he think, is. I think Obi Wan, you know, he's not going ass, you know. Shut up, mate. <laughs> Hurry up! I'm going to go out. <laughs> he's not. Do you know what I mean? He's not. He he's actually bit. He's actually kind of showing a kind of love to to more, and I think it was out of respect. You know, his journey was done. And it's like, sorry, mate. I'm, 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 you know, your life has been rubbish, and I'm sorry. And maybe this is this is just like the right thing to do. I don't think it's because like Anakin. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it's to do with that. What do you think, Matty boy? No, I, I echo you then, my friend. It, no, I can't. I think it was kind of almost ceremonial. It was out of respect. Um, and I don't, I don't think Obi Wan, like you said, but that humanity and compassion which he showed him at the end in Maul's final breath you know he's holding him I don't think he's going to be like right go back to the cave now just leave this guy for the romp rats to finish off uh, I do think that um... <laughs> do explain do explain but, but yeah, I'm just laughing at Matt's whatsapp status if by clubbing you mean eating club sandwiches then yes I love clubbing I, love clubbing. I do love <laughs> There we go. Oh my god, I go. do love a good club sandwich. But um yeah, no, I don't oh. think it was in direct response to uh, what happened to Anakin, because let's not forget he cut Maul in half and he came back. So he so if anything, yeah. it's probably more to do with I've got to finish this sucker off. But no, I think it was respect and I also think um it was for Lucasfilm and the story group, it is it was a way to say, Yeah, he's he's definitely dead now. You know, yeah. he got he got yeah. killed by Obi Wan. And he's been he's been had he had this kind of respectful funeral pyre akin to what Vader had at the end of Return of the Jedi. That's it done, Capiche, job done, no more Maul past this point. And that yep. works because of the timeline and because of who did it, because of the humanity, the empathy and compassion. Um it would be great though, yeah, if there's a deleted scene from Twin Sons where 
whilst he's whilst he's sort of cradling Maul, he's kind of like, hmm, let him make sure of this one. And he just flings him onto a bonfire like a like a dead Jawa and C three PO. But no um, more of him yeah, no, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're still, we're, you're not flying any ship. No, I, I don't think right there's any place <laughs> in hell. <laughs> mm, hot stuff. Yeah, I don't oh. think there was any kind of uh, yeah further meaning other than a respect for a fallen warrior. I think that was pretty much it. But it's a it is an interesting thought to kind of think. You know, was there something in the back of his mind that thought I'm not having this anymore? You know, we got we got we got this close to finding Luke. He got this close. <laughs> no, no way. So um, anybody out there? Has anyone out there think that's the reason? and leaving a job half done he left the job so half done in the Phantom Menace he left him in half but Ooh. does anyone out there think that um, Obi-Wan in that moment <laughs> thought right I've got to finish this job Paul <laughs> mate you set him off I'm just making just to be sure <laughs> he's a crafty one this one <laughs> yes, I'm still currently flying half a ship got to, got to land this baby <laughs> Let me grab the baby it. oil and the matches. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? You having to go to having to go to Uncle Owen. Uh, Owen, I'm sorry to bother you. Do you have any matches or firewood? He's oh. got them all just hanging out the back of EOP. I can. EOP, the real OG. There we go, guys. Yeah, you could have it's gone even a... further and said, did he, did he eat him? It's been a mental one. It's been a mental one. But thanks for the Patreon questions. If you want to get involved, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. $2 a month. Get involved. You know you want to. If you can't afford it, ask Nan for a couple quid and she'll be able to uh, fund your Patreon habits. Do what Luke said. Be like Igor Boryavich who signed up this week. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Guys, we'd love to hear your answers to these questions. uh, And we always enjoy reading your messages when it comes to these answers. So uh, another fun stint in the band, Tina, comes to an end. Barman, sorry about the mess. But you know we're going to be back again, same time again next week, here in the Bantina. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Star Wars Sessions game! <laughs> yes, each week we end with a Star Wars themed game and we alternate who is going to host the game. Now, this week would be my week. However, we're going to shake it up just a little bit this week. Last Friday on the premiere date of Obi-Wan Kenobi, we were invited on to BBC Berkshire, um, a radio station in the United Kingdom, uh, to basically try and talk the host into either watching Obi-Wan Kenobi or the new season of Stranger Things that had dropped on Netflix. Why did we do that? Well, we're Star Wars Sessions. We like Star Wars. But Luke is a massive Stranger Things fan. So we went on there and we were basically like, right, this is why you should watch Kenobi. Here's why you should watch Stranger Things. And in the end, we gave our... We gave our advice to on what he should watch for his Friday night because he hadn't seen, he doesn't like Star Wars, he doesn't like Stranger Things. So we kind of pointed him in the right direction in our own way, we did. mate. We did, yeah. But spoiler warning, there is something even more spicy, spicier than a plot twist. There is a twat list. <sighs> Stay tuned. Well, 
Well, let's find <laughs> out what that twat list is right now. It's BBC Radio Berkshire. It's five minutes to five. And uh, yes, as we were hearing with Shem as he was guiding us through things to watch, Netflix, uh, it is the uh, Stranger Things season four. Uh, but there is a bit, of, uh, a bit of a battle of the streamers. So big fans of two new huge series are, well, on tenderhooks. Uh, and uh, yes, Disney Plus isn't going to let Stranger Things arrive without a fight. So they've decided to put on the start of Kenobi, the latest instalment of the Star Wars saga. I've never seen a Star Wars movie and I sort of had a, a brief look at uh, Stranger Things. Uh, so, yes, we're going to get two super fans on and see uh, if they can convince me to go watch any of it. Uh, so we've got Matt Hudson's Star Wars, uh, Luke Bly, who is Stranger Things. And hello to you both. Hey, you hello. Right? Yeah, not too bad at all. Okay, so Matt, uh, Star Wars then, um, this is a big deal then. Um, yeah, I'm assuming you may have heard of it or maybe some things attached to it. But oh, yeah. Dude, this has been a big thing for 45 years now, and there's a reason why it's endured. And um, I'd like to think I can sway you into my way of thinking. Okay, well, that's fair enough. But the thing is, is um, 45 years uh, what is it about it because sometimes things can overstay their welcome clearly it's not uh, no it's the it's the pure escapism it's the fa- it's the world building that george lucas brought to his story the characters the the messages as there are themes and messages layered throughout the story on on the top surface it's a fun space opera but there's so many more meanings which can be related to uh, people young and old throughout the visuals are great. The characters are iconic. The sounds, the weapons, the music. I mean, there, there's not an awful lot to dislike, I don't think. And there's a reason, as I say, why it's endured. And it's all of the above. They're, they're continuing to honour what came before. But the thing is, it's a bit of a battle as, as well, as we know, as Disney Plus against Netflix. So, Luke, let's bring in Stranger mm. Things. Uh, let's go to the sort of obvious. The, the thing I, I seem to remember when I have seen it was the phrase the upside down uh, but that was early on uh, so it may have moved on since then but what is it about so essentially it is a hero's journey a young girl called 11 who is maybe a uh, science experiment is uh, quite powerful more powerful than she seems and it's the story about her but in the background is all of this like kind of uh, typical soap opera ongoings relationships and drama and then i think what is kind of even beyond that is this political landscape where maybe the upside down things like that are maybe being used for uh, as like sci-fi weaponry which is a really interesting kind of story b and i think we're going to see more of that this season yes and set in the 80s too yes that's it and that's what makes it so awesome is that it's set in the 80s and it does it really really well and looking at this uh, latest series, Kenobi, then, so presumably we're, you know, is, is Ewan McGregor making an appearance, that sort of thing? Ewan, McGreg- Ewan McGregor's back. It's set between episode three and four, so it's set right between Ewan McGregor's last appearance and Sir Alec Guinness's first appearance. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So you're joining all the, the dots here. So it, it, it's a real story. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know if it's a prequel, a sequel, whatever it is they, they call it, but it's, it's just a whole new <laughs> ball game, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. It's, it's, it's a prequel to the old films. It's a sequel to the prequels. It's however many quills you can get in. It's one of those. A mega quill. Oh, I've I no idea what it is. Um, all right. The, 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 the big final. Yeah, we've got about 30 seconds left. So here's the thing then. Uh, Luke, uh, who's going to win then? Stranger mm. Things or Star Wars? I know which you're uh, going to say. Star Wars. 
Really? Star Wars every day. <laughs> <laughs> Even I though mean, you love Stranger really? Things. Oh, well, there we I are. Love, I love Stranger Things. We go watch Kenobi. I do a Star Wars podcast at the end of the day. But that's why, uh, yeah, I lo- I'll watch both, though. Watch both. Yeah. That's what I say. Uh, and Matt, are you going to do that as well? Watch both, if nothing else? Uh, I'll eventually get around to watching Stranger Things, but go, everybody, go watch Star Wars. It's escapism. It's for everyone. And it's shorter as well. There's not as many to binge through. All right, excellent stuff. Lovely to speak to you both. Enjoy it as it's all dropped. I imagine they've already watched some of it as well. Uh, so, yes, uh, they're all dropping. Uh, Kenobi, uh, Star Wars continues, and uh, also Stranger Things Season 4. From the BBC Sounds app, on your smart speaker, play BBC Radio Berkshire, and on your radio. I'm back on the airwaves on the podcast. That was it, mate. That was the BBC uh, session once more. <laughs> Uh, the guy, that, whoever that guy was talking about Stranger Things, recommending he go watch Kenobi. What a schmuck! Yeah, I know. What a top? No, top lad. Top lad. <laughs> top oh, lad, mate. Right. We always enjoy going on the Beeb. So thank you very much to BBC oh, yeah. Berkshire and the Beeb in general for always um, hauling us on to your shows. <laughs> we very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, guys, if you watch Stranger Things, let us know what you thought about it. But that's yeah. going to be that's going to be our show. For this week, mate, what an absolutely fabulous show it was discussing all things Star Wars, aesthetics, visuals with the wonderful, legendary Roger Christian, man. We love it. We love it. We love Star Wars. We love Roger Christian. What a show. What a show. And Matty boy, we better get planning on some Star Wars celebration filth. Star Wars celebration Europe 2023 London. It is happening Stay tuned. There, there will be some events and stuff happening. We are going to go in. We're going to go ham. I don't think yous are ready. I actually don't. I don't think they're ready, Matty boy. Not sure I am either, but I'm telling you something. You're not. The planning has already started. In your head, in my head, together, we are going to have so much fun and we can't wait. <laughs> also, yeah, let us, know if you, let us know if you're planning to go. We know a lot of our yeah. international audience are certainly planning to go. We know it's an expense, but if you think you're going to be there, slide into the old sessions dm and let us know and we can start compiling a list of the sickheads uh, and start getting the drinks orders in i think um and in between now and celebration go over to galaxybuiltonhope.com support roger's documentary it's made with love it's fantastic there's so many tidbits and interesting moments i had no idea about uh, and there's some great 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 interviewees in there guillermo del toro gareth edwards is in there quite a lot as yes well. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Of, fantastic people on there so galaxybuiltonhope.com but that is that for this episode of star wars sessions but the fun doesn't end there no one's ever really gone where can the world find us master blowwalker you can find us at starwarsessions.co.uk search for us on social media and we will be there twitter facebook instagram tick tock just search star wars sessions just do it do it uh email us email us a message you got questions about london ask us we will try and answer want to send in a voice note do it hello there at starwarsessions.co.uk yes sir if you want to support our show for free you can do by leaving us a five-star rating or review on your podcast provider of choice, which now includes Spotify. Five stars helps the show grow. It introduces new listeners. It's another way for us to hear from more of you each and every week. And if you know there's a Star Wars sick in your life, tell them about us. Just tell them. Yeah. 
Yeah, tell all your friends about us. Star Wars friends about us. Tell your mum. Tell your dad. Tell your mates. Tell your cats. Tell your nan. Tell your Ewok. Tell your cousin. Tell your nearest set designer. The more, the merrier. Ah, they get so spicier. There are Roger Christian's daring neckline in his oh. in his seventies shirts that this is the podcast you're looking for. So until next time, from me, see ya, and from Luke, may the force be with you always. Luke, Luke, nearing deckline. <laughs> <laughs> Close to home. We love it. Oh. London. Essex-based podcast heroes... I can't hold it any longer. I, 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 I can't... I, I, we can't... What?